Joshua 24, verse 1 to 28. And for my theme of chosen, renew your commitment. So if you would open your Bible to Joshua, chapter 24. And we're not going to cover the whole chapter. Only verse 1 to 28. Renew your commitment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And this is a time for us as a church and individuals to renew our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would please speak loud and clear into uh, the ears of our hearts and give us spiritual understanding. And would you help us that this would not be a superficial or a false commitment, but sincere and deep and true and lasting. In Jesus' name, Amen. I do not like altar calls. And the very first reason I don't like altar calls and disagree with altar calls is because it is nowhere in the pages of the Bible. And apart from the fact that it's not found in the pages of the Bible, what you see very often, obviously there are many false conversions. There are some true ones through altar calls, but many of them, and I would venture to say most of them are false. I myself had a false conversion through an altar call. <clears throat> and you, you'll sometimes see some people, they respond to altar calls again and again. It's like they think they need to be born again, again and again. They need to be converted again and again. So altar calls are not biblical, but there is a time and a place for us to recommit ourselves to the Lord, to commit ourselves afresh to Christ. And today, I believe, is an opportunity for our church to do that. Because I'm, frankly, quite frankly, I'm very concerned about some of our people. <clears throat> and I think it's not only our church. It's as if the lockdown, it's like you, you estrange from one another and... I don't know quite what's going on with all our people. Is everyone still loyal and faithful to the Lord? My wife posted this on Facebook this week, um, saying the danger of missing church is that very soon you won't miss it. Now, I know we, we couldn't gather, but there were house groups. We did gather in homes, and those were very poorly attended. We did have online prayer meetings, and a number of our people took part in the online prayer meetings over Skype, but many didn't. Uh, some, of, some of our people were involved in the Skype prayer meetings, and they didn't pray aloud, and that's fine. What I'm just trying to say is, no one said you have to pray aloud, but at least be involved. And even now that our worship services, is re, we've uh, restarted with worship services on the Lord's Day, it's like some people, they are just not interested. Now, I know, I know some of our people, they cannot be here. They do long to be here. They simply cannot. Due to illness or due to the old age homes and lockdowns there, or perhaps um, being a COVID risk for older people who live in their homes, who live with them, or maybe some other really good reason. But at least... At least you should be consistent then. And not say it's risky 
to go to church because of COVID, but you have no problem visiting friends or meeting in a restaurant. You know, as if as if the risk to get COVID is greater. As soon as you open a Bible or hold a Bible, it's very risky you're going to get COVID. But if you stand at a braai or you have a pizza in your hand, you know, that it's almost like you're immune against COVID. So don't use COVID as an excuse for serving the Lord. Don't use COVID as an excuse for being at the worship services and and use COVID as an excuse for being involved involved in the church. Now, some would say, well, at least I, I follow these services online. Well, I don't have a problem with that if you followed it online. Again, as long as you are consistent, as long as you do your braai online and you do your shopping online and you eat at the restaurant online and you visit your friends online. And as long as you will be satisfied and happy with your pastor visiting you online when you are ill. Now, that, that does not only go for people who are uninvolved in the church. It can even go for those who are faithful. So you're not, you're not disobedient to Hebrews 10.25 that says we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Yes, you do gather. And you may even be involved in the church, but your heart is far from God. So this sermon is for you also. This sermon actually is for every single one of us. Because none of us can say, I've now crossed the, crossed the finish line, I've finished the race. We have not finished the race yet. And so we should remember what the Apostle Paul said. When Paul said, I forget the things that are behind and I stretch out, I reach forward to the things that are ahead. I want to cross, cross the finish line, I want to finish this race. Well, as long as we remember that those who endure to the end will be saved. Matthew 10.22 So let us then renew our commitment to the Lord. Like we see many examples in Scripture, in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they renewed their covenant. 1 Samuel 7, renewing the covenant. Even Jacob in Genesis 35 renewed his commitment to the Lord. Or David after he had committed adultery and murder. Or Peter when Jesus restored him and said again, follow me. Or the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, where they repented of their sin. Or Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that is in you. Or the seven churches of Revelation. Some of them, Jesus says, renew your commitment. Renew your commitment. Like, like some married couples do after 20 years of marriage. They, they recommit. They, they renew their vows. And you should do so. Whether, whether you have strayed from the Lord and it's been only a week or a few months. Or perhaps it's been a few years. A number of years. And then you should seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord for he will have mercy and abundantly pardon. So Joshua 24, we're going to answer two questions. What did God do? And secondly, what should you do? So what did God do? Verse 1 to 13. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And some of the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau 
the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness. Then I brought you out, brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of the land, of their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It wasn't by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So two of my friends who are missionaries among the Tongas in Limpopo, they both said that the number one problem in the Tonga culture is fatherless homes. I remember my friend and I, one of these friends, we drove through a village in Limpopo and it was just rubbish strewn all on the side of the road. And he said, this is because of fatherless homes. What he meant was there are no fathers to teach their children to be neat or disciplined or have a good work ethic. And then they grow up that way. And that same friend told me, not one of the children in our church has a father. Not one. They don't know their fathers. Their fathers do not live with them. And it's actually, it's quite similar in our culture. Perhaps not as bad, but it's very similar in our culture because of the high divorce rate. But also because many fathers are workaholics, so they're not home. They don't spend time at home. Or perhaps the fathers do spend time at home. But when it comes to spiritual matters, they do not take the lead. They leave it to the mother to take the spiritual lead. So biblically, that's just upside down. D.A. Carson said, in Canada they found this uh, with evangelism, evangelizing. And when women get converted and children get converted, it, most often it does not influence the father. Where if it's the other way around and the dad gets converted, then very soon the whole family is saved and they join the church. And that's what you find, in the, that's the pattern in the book of Acts. He and his whole household believed. He and his household served the Lord and so on. Now, I'll say more about that later on, but for now it's enough to know and to see in verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. So he calls the leaders. The leaders need to recommit because if the leaders serve the Lord, it'll very often influence the rest of the families, as we see at the end of verse 15 also, where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you see Joshua gathering these leaders to Shechem and the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Now Shechem is the place where God, where Abraham 
parked for the very first time in the promised land when he went to the land of Canaan. And that's exactly at this place where God made the promise, I will give this land to you and your descendants. Genesis 12, verse 6 and 7. So Shechem, it's right between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal that we find in Joshua 8, where Joshua led the people of Israel to renew their covenant with God. So it's the same place now. Shechem is between these two mountains. And then he tells them, listen, in verse 2, he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. What I'm now telling you, Joshua says, these aren't my words, these are God's words. And what I'm telling you this evening in this sermon, if you can check me by scripture and say, what you have told us is what God says, you have no choice but to obey. But if what I'm saying is not in scripture, then regard it as rubbish and throw it out. But if it is the word of the Lord, Woe to you if you ignore this. Now we see Joshua reminding the people of Israel. He says, do you remember that long ago your forefathers lived on the other side of the, of the Euphrates River and they worshipped idols? Long ago, that's more than 600 years before this event. In verse 2 we see long ago. And, and Abraham was one of those idol worshippers, verse 2 and 3. He worshipped idols, and, but because the Lord God had chosen him, God also went and he saved him. He saved him from that idolatry and God brought him to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And then he promised, verse 3, I'll, I'll give you many descendants. I'll make, turn you into a great nation. I'll make your offspring many. And he did. It started small with one child, Isaac, the son of the promise that was born when Abraham was 100 and Sarah 90 years old. And then 60 years later, it grew a bit more in verse 4. And now he had two grandchildren, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Isaac, the father, he did pray for 20 years for his wife to fall pregnant. It took 20 years, but there they were, Jacob and Esau. And then it continued growing, but Israel had not yet received any portion of land. Esau did. God gave Esau land, according to verse 5, or verse 4 at least. He gave him the hill country of Seir. So Esau had a piece of land, but Israel not yet. They had to wait for 400 years, more than 400 years. The Israelites were in Egypt, and they became slaves. And then God sent the, sent the ten plagues, and he sent Moses and Aaron to save Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and to lead them to the promised land. We see that in verse 5. But even that took time. Because God first, he took them through the Red Sea first, verse 6 and 7, and then he killed all the Egyptians, he let them drown in the Red Sea, and then he led his people, verse 7, for 40 years. He leads them through the wilderness. We know that from Exodus to the book of Deuteronomy. And then God conquers the enemy, he conquers the Amorites, verse 8. Now the Amorites, they were giants, they were as tall as cedar trees and as strong as oak trees, says Amos 2, verse 9. Uh, and in in Numbers 13, the Israelites also see, say, we like grasshoppers in their eyes. We're small. Uh, one of the, the Amorites had a bed that was, that was four meters long, according to Deuteronomy 3, verse 11. Four meters long and two meters wide. A massive guy, a giant. And God had protected his people. He had conquered the enemy, and he protected them against witchcraft, verse 9. Because the king of Moab... King Balak, he had hired Balaam, who was a sorcerer, a wizard. And, and he had hired Balaam to curse Israel 
But God turned the curse into a blessing, says verse 10. Isn't that what God said to Abraham? Those who curse you, I will curse, and those who bless you, I will bless. And so God blesses them. He turns the curse into a blessing. And then eventually after that, they pass, or they go through the Jordan River. The Jordan River opens up to them, verse 11, and God leads his people, and they cross the river. And then the very first city they, they hit is Jericho. God is with them. God helps them conquer Jericho. Actually, God conquers it for them. And all the rest of the nations in the land of Canaan, verse 11, God conquers them. And so, finally, after 400 years, God fulfills his promise to Abraham. And the people of Israel possess the land. And the way God drives these nations out of the land is not even by the sword and the bow, but he sends hornets. He sends hornets so that even mighty kings like Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og the king, the giant king Og of Bashan, they're driven out. And the other Amorites, the people of Canaan, they're driven out by these wasps or these hornets. You can do something against lions and even something against larger animals. But, but hornets, the best weapons you could find in those days would do nothing against hornets. They just crawl right into your arm and sting you. And so it wasn't the Israelites that conquered these kings and nations. Because it says in verse 12, God says, it wasn't by your boat, it wasn't by your sword. It's the Lord who did this. And so God gave into the hand of the Israelites these enemies. God gave the Israelites the land of milk and honey. Uh, verse 13, a, a land where they didn't even build the cities, they just moved in. They didn't even develop the farms, they didn't even plant the orchards or the vineyards. They just walked in and picked and started eating. So it's really milk and honey, you don't have to do anything to, to produce milk and honey, you just drink it from the cow or just scoop it from the bee's nest, from the bee's hive. So a great lesson that stands out in these 13 verses and perhaps you heard it, I try to emphasize it, especially in the second half, but right through this passage, again and again, it's God who takes the initiative. I saved you. I provided for you. I guided you. I protected you. I conquered your enemies. It's God who did all of this. So why, why in the world do we accept a version of Christianity where people say what we did for the Lord? Why do we accept a version of Christianity where we say how we sought the Lord, how I gave my heart to Jesus, I gave my life to Christ? Why do we accept a version of Christianity that says that? Where the biblical view of Christianity is what God did, what God did for us, what Christ did for us, not what we do for Him. Have you forgotten that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost? Did you seek him or did he seek you? No one seeks God. God sought you. Have you forgotten that Christ chose you before you chose him? Have you forgotten that Jesus died for you before you ever existed? That Christ died for us while we were yet sinners? That Christ, that God chose you before you were born, Romans 9.11? That God chose that which was weak to shame the strong? He chose the weak so that no one may boast. Have you forgotten that he chose you before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5? Have you forgotten that you was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. Have you forgotten how deep you were in your sin when the Lord came and He rescued you like Abraham who was deep in sin, in idolatry, and God rescued him, God chose him, God saved him. 
Have you forgotten how Satan had caught you in his net, in his snare, and you could not come out? You could not set yourself free. And how the Lord opened a way for you. How the Lord brought salvation just like he did for the Israelites at the Red Sea when there was no hope. Have you forgotten that even, that even after your salvation, after you were converted, you have done and committed enough sin so that God could say, I'm done with you? Like with the Israelites after he redeemed, saved them from Egypt. They continued sinning. Have you forgotten that God cared for you? God cared for you. God provided for you. God sent help even when you did not love him as you previously did. When your love had grown cold like the Israelites in Exodus 16 and 17. Complaining, complaining, griping, grumbling, murmuring. And yet God continued to care for them. And perhaps when God provided all these good things, you took it as proof that your sin does not bother God. But actually God, God wanted to show you how much He loves you and He showed His love so that, so that you would repent and turn back to Him. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, Romans 2 verse 4. Have you forgotten how often God has protected you against danger? Perhaps times you, you and I are not even aware of when he protected you, you didn't even know you were in danger. As we see in verse 9 and 10. Where Balak hires Balaam, the sorcerer, the wizard to curse them. They weren't even aware of that. God protected them. It's like at our house, Sangoma. I do not even have to tell you the details. But Sangomas eat certain stuff and they do something on your lawn. To try and curse you. And so it was done at our house twice. Twice in, in one week. They're trying to lay curses, place curses on us. Oh, but the Lord protects his children. So how in the world, how in the world can we read verse, verse 1 to 13 and not respond? Like Joshua did in verse 14 to 28. And renew our commitment. Second question, what must you do? So that was what did God do? And now what must you do? Verse 14 to 28. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord's to serve other gods, for it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore also we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after, you have, he, after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves. But you've chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice, 
voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law. And he took a large stone and set it up under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. When we study the Bible, you've probably seen this before. Preachers and commentators and so on will say, if you see the word therefore, you should ask, what is the therefore therefore? Why is this word therefore here? In other words. And Paul does that. You see the Apostle Paul, for instance, Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Or Romans 12 verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That word therefore is Paul's point is to say, now I've given you all this teaching. This is what Christianity is. This is how you were saved. Therefore, this now is how you should live as a Christian. And Joshua does the same in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. It's like he's saying, because of what God has done for us, verse 1 to 13, it's just logical that we should do verse 14 onward. And what is this that we should do? Well, verse 14, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. So fear the Lord. That means to have the deepest reverence and awe and respect and love and obedience and worship. Fear the Lord. And if you fear him in this way, well, will you not renew your commitment if you truly fear God? And if you don't fear God in this way, well, then you will not renew your commitment. And even if you try and do so, and you do renew your commitment, it will not be sincere. Verse 14 says, make this sincere. So it'll just be hypocritical. It'll be hypocrisy. And you're going to renew your commitment because you feel guilty, or you're afraid of going to hell, or you want to be seen by others, you want acceptance, or there's peer pressure, and everyone's doing it, so you better do it. That's another problem I have with altar calls, all this peer pressure, everyone's going, I better go. And it's not sincere, very often. And you'll renew your commitment, perhaps, but it won't be sincere, but also it won't be in faithfulness. Verse 14, you will not be faithful. So only for a while, it's like you're going to pull up your socks. But then you're going to fall back again. And your love will be like, like Hosea 6 verse 4. Your love is like the morning dew. It's just gone when the sun shines hot. When the sun is hot. When the sun is up. So your love disappears very quickly. It'll be like the Galatians. Galatians 1 verse 6. Who, who, who did this? Why are you turning away so quickly to another gospel? And so the same with you and I then. If we, if we do not fear the Lord, we will not be faithful. It'll be like teenage, a teenage relationship. It's just being in love, but it's butterflies in your stomach, but it's not true love. And so Jesus, it's like he's a fifth wheel to the, on the wagon, a spare wheel. You only take him out when you're really in trouble. <coughs> and so when you need to choose, choose between Jesus and his word and the body of Christ on the one hand, the church of Jesus Christ on the one hand, and on the other hand, you've got sport and family and TV and garden work and just 
sleeping in or relaxation or going to the mall on the Lord's Day. It's like Jesus is just another option. The church is just an option. His word is just an option. It's like you choose between a bride and coming to church, like you choose between a red shirt and a blue shirt. What do I want to wear today? So you like the chicken. The chicken donated eggs. But you're not like the pig. The pig that gave his whole self. He sacrificed himself to feed others. And so in other words, Jesus, he's just part of your life, but he's not your life. You, can, you cannot honestly say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. So actually what Joshua here is saying to the Israelites is, commitment, commitment. And what Joshua said to the Israelites, the Lord is saying to you and me this evening, leave your idols, leave your sin, leave the world, leave those things you did before your conversion, and serve God alone. Verse 14, put away the gods, let your father served, served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 2. Same thing. Thus says the Lord, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. They served other gods. You leave those gods. You turn away from them. And if you don't like serving the Lord, if it's evil in your mind to serve the Lord, please choose your idol. Choose what idol you want. Choose which one. Verse 15. It's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. And then he gives them the options of different gods. Because God is not going to allow you to divide your heart between him and idols. He's not going to allow you to divide your heart between him and the world. Between him and your sin. So stop limping between opinions, said Elijah to the prophets of Baal, to the people of Israel. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Baal or are you going to serve Yahweh? So the point I'm making, and the point Joshua is making, the point God is making in his word, is he demands absolute loyalty. It's all or nothing. So if you want heaven, and you want the world, please do not follow Jesus. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you are not worthy of the kingdom of God. So you be a heart and soul disciple. With all your heart and all your soul, be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Be part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Or on the other hand, turn your back on Christ and live for the devil. And live for the world and please resign the church. Resign from the church. Do you want to follow the world? Follow the world. Because God's not going to share your heart with the world. So I hope you get the message. Please follow Joshua's example. Renew your commitment to the Lord. And let fathers especially lead their families in this. Verse 15, at the end, I already quoted it to you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let fathers do this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Like Abraham. Abraham will teach his family after him. Genesis 18, verse 19. We see God saying that to Abraham and of Abraham. For I have chosen Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So please, gentlemen, do not leave it to your wife. Yes, your wife has a part and a role to play in the raising of the children, but it's your responsibility to take the spiritual lead, men. And even worse, do not leave it to your children. That they must grow themselves in the Lord. They must bring themselves to church because you won't. 
And when Joshua said this to the people, they responded by saying, verse 16 to 18, we will not serve other gods. It's the Lord that has saved us. It's God that has brought us to you. So you see, when God speaks, you should respond. That's exactly what happened here. God spoke through Joshua and the people responded. And if you do not respond, what's going to happen is you'll be convicted by this evening's sermon, but very quickly it will, it will wear away and you'll stay just as you are. And because people are emotional roller coasters, Joshua does not do an altar call. Joshua does not say, look how excited they are, let's call them forward. No, Joshua doesn't bite. He doesn't bite the hook. Yes, they respond immediately, but Joshua responds by saying in verse 19, I'm not even going to do an altar call. You are not able to serve the Lord. I don't want you to come forward. It's like A.W. Tozer said when people expected him to do an altar call after a very powerful sermon. He said, I don't want you to come, come to the front and weep about it. I want you to go home and live it. So Joshua says, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's holy. He's a jealous God. He won't forgive you trans your transgressions and your sins. And Jesus said the same. When people said, I'll follow you, he said, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay, lay his head. It's like Jesus is saying, don't follow me, unless you count the cost. I want you to count the cost. I want you to see this is going to be costly. It's going to cost you everything. It's all or nothing. And Jesus wants you to understand verse 19. God is a holy God. God is a jealous God. He's a God that asks for commitment. He's jealous like a husband who will not share his own wife with other men. And God will not share you with other gods. God will not share you with your sin. God will not share you with the world. So it's no light thing to say, I recommit myself to the Lord. Please think very clearly and think through this. Do you want to serve the Lord? Because God demands 100% loyalty and devotion. If you turn to the Lord, if you repent of your sin, He will forgive you. But if you understand the implications of everything I've said this evening, you understand the implications of renewing your commitment, and you then turn your back on Him, and you turn back to your gods and to your sin and to the world, and you serve the world, then you sin with a high hand, and God will not forgive you. Verse 20 at the, 19 at the end. Then you fall into the category of the people in Hebrews 6, verse 46. They knew everything. They even had spiritual experiences. And they then turn back. There is no chance of repentance. And so then the Lord, after all the good He has done to us and all the good we've received from His hand, then God will bring all of that to an end and He will destroy us. As a church, all the good we've experienced, as individuals, God will destroy us. Verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So you like the fat cows in Pharaoh's dream, and the thin cows will devour you, and you will not even know that there were ever fat cows. You will not even know that God had ever done you good after he destroys you. So do not boast. If you are at this moment spiritually strong and you're going on well spiritually, do not boast in yourself. Rather thank the Lord and remain faithful and remain a God-fearing man or woman. Fear the Lord and persevere. And please remember that God 
will use your words against you if you renew your commitment tonight and you break that promise. Verse 21 and 22. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Your words will count against you. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. So remove the idols. Joshua knew there were idols among the people. These people who had right, just, just a few seconds ago, they had promised to serve the Lord and promised to recommit. Joshua knew there were still idols among them. Verse 23. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. He said it in verse 14. Put away those gods. And in the same way, God knows there are still idols in our congregation. There are idols in our hearts. There are things that control our lives, they control our thoughts, they control our plans, they control our conversations, they control everything. And these are things they, they don't help your relationship with the Lord. And the Lord is telling you this evening, and He's telling me this evening, leave those idols. Put away those foreign gods. Yes, but I've tried, but I cannot do so. Well, if the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart, and He's given you a new heart, then you can change, and you will want to change. Verse 23. And put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the very first thing you and I need to ask is to ask the Holy Spirit to regenerate us. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel before you say this evening, I renew my commitment to God. Otherwise, you're going to make a promise that you cannot keep. Just so I like the Israelites in Exodus 19 verse 8. We will obey all God's words. Exodus 24, verse 3 and verse 7. We will do everything you have said, Moses. And very shortly after that, they worship a golden calf. So why not rather be like the person who promises, who makes a covenant before the pulpit, makes a covenant that I'll remain faithful to this woman or to this man, and they do so. They do so, many of them, well, some of them do so for... All their lives, until they die, till death do them part. And so verse 24, people said, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. They were faithful. And so, may we do the same. And, and by the power of Jesus Christ, you can keep such a commitment. You can stick to it. You can do what you've promised. Now, it's not, it's not quite the same. It's not like this covenant that Joshua made with the people and the people and Joshua made with the Lord because he brought sacrifices and verse 25, there were rules and statutes that they had to keep. It's not the same. But this is a covenant that we make. A covenant we make is one where Jesus has made the covenant. Jesus has promised, he has sworn, that he would stand in our place before the Father. And he's provided for us the perfect record we need in order to stand before God. And he's, he's, he has become the sacrifice for our law-breaking, for our disobedience. And he's written these laws upon our hearts. And he's given the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that now the Holy Spirit empowers us. We want to obey the law. We will obey the law by his strength, by his grace. And then Joshua writes all of this in a book. Verse 26. And so the same Jesus has written all of this in a book called the New Covenant or the New Testament. And we have the Old Testament. And so we have God's Word. And this book 
will become the witness against us today. If we renew our commitment to the Lord, you decide you're going to renew your commitment, or if you decide I will not renew my commitment to the Lord, then this will be a testimony against you today. Just like Joshua took a stone, he put it under the tree, the terebinth tree um, at Shechem, that's the place where, where Abraham brought the first sacrifice in the land of Canaan. Genesis 12 verse 6, and where God promised, I'll give this land to your descendants. And so this very same stone now becomes the witness against the people. And this book, this sermon, this preaching this evening will become the witness against you and I if we recommit to the Lord and we do not keep our promise. Or worse, well, I don't know which is worse, or if you make no commitment at all and say, I will not recommit, I will continue in my ways of sin. And so like Joshua and all these leaders of the people of Israel, Joshua sends them back to their inheritance, verse 28, and so I want to send you home this evening. After you had a chance to, chance to, to recommit, to renew your commitment to the Lord as we partake of the Lord's Supper tonight. And then you pray, Lord, renew me so that I may be renewed. Restore us that we may be restored. Lord, grant me repentance. Lord, I confess my sins. Lord, I want to, Lord, I want to renew my first love. And think very, very clearly when you do this, because the Lord sees this in a very serious light. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would help us indeed to renew our commitment this evening. And we may do it with sincerity and faithfulness, fearing the Lord and living in love and obedience to you, our Lord and our God. Forgive us our sins, Lord, and help us as we partake of the Lord's table tonight that we would also do this with sincerity of heart. In Jesus' name, Amen.